Oh, these are all the reactions that we can only hope for, right? Every gift needs to have this kind of reaction, but often we don't get to experience that. So we want to go ahead and dismiss the kids. But before we do, I want to say this. You know, there's something that we can all experience, and I, I realize I'm at the point now that I would rather be able to afford or give this reaction than have this reaction. And so that's something to think about as we go into Christmas, as we think about the ability to give of our lives and the hope that we have and the hope that we can impart. So if you will um, uh, help me with this blessing as we dismiss our kids to their time. Uh, and so we want to say the Lord bless you as you continue on in your time of worship. And you guys say back. Nailed it. Okay, we have Miss Shannon, and do you have a helper tonight? Okay, we're going to funnel out, and uh, we're only making good choices uh, because that's all we know how to make. Don't make the naughty list this late into the year. That's all I'm saying. You're in the, you're in the red zone. Well, we're talking about hope uh, tonight, and um, I, I wanted to just start out by saying, let me define a couple of terms that I think are significant for us to understand. One is the term of what it means to be an atheist. An atheist would simply believe in no existence of a supreme being. Uh, an agnostic would recognize that there is some supreme being. Uh, they're just not willing or able to name what that being or deity would look like or, or sound like. And so what I would like to say for the rest of us is that I find, um, and this is true in my own life, so this is mildly confessional, is that we often exist as functional atheists. And what I mean by that is I will often say I believe in God's love. I believe and I trust in God and I have hope in what God's going to do, in God's care for me, in God's provision for me, in God's protection of me. Except I often end up living my life like I don't believe that that's true. I have tendencies to want to control outcomes. I have tendencies to want to withhold things from, from the Lord and not be able to walk in maybe faith and obedience. And so we often end up operating, I think, as people who believe but are, at times, functional atheists. And I, I think that's important for us to understand because uh, real faith is countercultural to, I think, how a lot of us were raised. A lot of us were probably raised with the idea that God helps those who help themselves. And so the way to receive God's blessing is to work a lot harder. That we somehow can self-help our way or make ourselves more lovable, and then God somehow blesses us in an unusual way. And the opposite of that is equally true, that somehow if we're not doing those things, God is sort of angry with us, to which I think both of those are really flawed. And so it's important for us to center in on what it is we have hope in. And so maybe a key distinction in this phrase, well, a verse that I would, I would simply suggest is faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what is not seen. Now, faith 
is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. See, I think we are simply not supposed to be married to this historic account that what God did back then in sending his son. But God, being active today, requires that we also be active in compassion, in generosity, in hospitality, in giving of ourselves, believing that God can use even the most mundane or smallest of gestures. So I want to talk about hope as a verb. If you have an outline tonight, I made some notes. You might want to jot a couple of things down. I'm going to ask you to open up and look at a couple of verses if you have a Bible or a Bible app. But I want to talk about hope first as a verb, then hope as a practice, and then hope as a way of remembrance because there are tangible ways that we can respond in hope. And the first thing I would say is hope is a verb as contrasted between optimism. Optimism is that which, and I think optimism is great. I don't often carry myself as an optimist. I I tend to lend myself towards more of a, a realist I met a guy once, and he was about 20 years older than me, Um, and this was about 20 years ago, so I guess he was about my age. I think he had listened to too much Tony Robbins. I think he had heard one too many Zig Ziglar talks, and every time you said, oh, hey, how's it going? He says, great, but I'm getting better, and I'm like, what does that even mean? His license plate said, getting better. It was actually quite annoying to me. It was off-putting. He was trying to be so positive. He was trying to be so optimistic. Great, I'm getting better though. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I don't live in that world. I live a lot more with struggle and tension. In fact, there's a couple of words that relate to hope um, out of the Hebrew that help maybe justify (laughs) my reaction to him. And that is the first word, it it comes to us and it says the yakal. And yakal means to hope, uh, to wait for. Important distinction. When we wait for something, we're waiting not as inactivity, but we're waiting with expectancy. We're not waiting like we're sitting back just not doing anything, but there's stuff that we can be doing in the meantime. It's called simple obedience and doing what we know to do. It's the idea that God can't steer a parked car. So what is it that God has invited us to participate in while we wait for God's restoration, for God's provision, for God's healing, etc.? The second word is the word kavah. It also means hope. It's the Hebrew translation, but it actually means accord. Like, imagine a cord being stretched and there's this tension until there's finally breakthrough. Does that sound like the hope that you have? It sounds like the tension that I live with. Because I believe that God is these things, that God is a protector, a provider, a healer, and on and on. Except that there's often a waiting time before God delivers. And so the invitation we have is to have hope as a verb, that somehow it's a call to action. Hope waits for God to bring about the good in our life, which is simply different than optimism, which is finding the silver lining in a cloud of circumstances. But again, I would simply say hope comes from knowing God's past faithfulness. I think we get so, (laughs) I do, uh, 
short-sighted, a, a very short-term memory, and, and I forget God's faithfulness. And it's very easy to just kind of wonder and doubt and, and get concerned about God's care and presence in my life. But if I take the long view of God, and if I can begin to see what God has been doing in the sequence of my life, then I begin to see the trajectory and the arc of how God is moving, shaping, guiding, leading really important when we consider hope because if I just came to you and said you guys just need to hope in Christ more that sounds really passive except hope is something really active it's doing what we know to do based on the character and the qualities of who God is and the promise of what God has been doing through the ages um Biblical hope chooses to wait expectantly for God to bring his goodness to bear in our future, regardless of how dark our circumstances are. Um, there's a verse that comes out of Isaiah 52, and maybe some of you want to turn with me there. I want to spend a little time, and he says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you see how there's some kind of an invitation? Do you see how there's a, an active sense about it? Who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. There is something that we're invited into that is anything but passive, but an eager anticipation of God to keep doing what God has been doing from the beginning. And that is be faithful and doing what we know to do. And the way we can express faith, it says how, how not, not how beautiful are the mountains, it's how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news of great tidings and proclaim salvation. What can we do? We can't solve world hunger. We can't necessarily end human trafficking. We can't find cures for diseases like cancer, but we can make small strides. We can respond to the needs and the opportunities around us. And in this way, I think our hearts maintain a sensitivity. In this way, we're working out our own salvation and it's saving us from being the center of our own existence. It was probably about a year ago. I was approached, and, and let me just explain. I, I shared this more. We have a, a special relationship with the Burmese community here. All of these people who grew up in poverty, who grew up under persecution, and they have this dynamic faith. Um, and it's been so encouraging to learn. And yet I feel like I've given a lot to them, except that I keep being able to receive a lot because they inspire me. Um, uh, and... Um, in fact, one of the things that I've been praying about is how we can help partner with them in launching a Burmese congregation, kind of a Burmese tribe that has its own worship expression. But one of the things that we're talking about, and I would invite your prayers for this, but we're talking about having a once a month international kind of uh, gathering together where, where Jonathan comes and he translates and we involve um, some of them in the worship experience here. Um, it's been really fun. We have a group of people that every other week um, with, with, with Jess and Kristen and Kyle, they go and they teach um, a group of about nine Burmese English, right? Because you can break cycles of poverty when you can learn the language and then you can like get better jobs and, and then you can afford better education. And so there's all of these things that we're trying. But about a year ago, I was approached to say, 
could, could we do something that, um, like, could we record some, some um, worship songs so that we can take some of the songs and share them with our people and it can help them uh, worship in America better, but they need it in their name. So I was like, yeah, we can do that, except, like, I don't know GarageBand. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And so I just kind of nod and go, something to pray about, something I can, I was like, you ought to talk to B. Sterling. And that was last year. And let me just tell you, um, a, a week or, no, it was a couple weeks ago, I, I announced to you that B. had sent me this text B, or this picture because he was sitting at his kitchen table with GarageBand open with Dat, their worship leader, and Jonathan. And they're figuring out, hammering out. Well, Rich Bauer, who was playing bass, happens to be a recording artist and actually happens to have $10,000 worth of recording equipment. And so Rich says, and he was sitting back there and he listened to us say it. He goes to be afterward, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to, uh, just garage band some crap. He goes, oh, I've got all the gear. So they show up at his classroom and then they begin to lay down tracks and begin to put together a beautiful um, kind of compilation so that they can learn worship. I didn't know where the resources were going to come from for that. I just knew that eventually God would provide. And maybe not in that moment, and maybe not in my timing, but all I can do is just go, yes, Lord. In the meantime, we can have some breakfast with them. In the meantime, we can invite them to Lake Day and do some slip and slide. But you've got to hear, um, and this is a, a, about a 16-year-old girl named Salomo, Salomo Rachel, uh, and, and some of her friends. Just listen to part of what they laid down that night. This is hope as a verb. So Rich shows up, and Rich grew up in church, but he's not going anywhere regular that we know, but he's a wonderful guy, and he said yes because he could. You knew I, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and then there's that. But you know a little bit more than me, and I love what Pastor Jonathan says, and, and their community, and one of the things I'm talking to them, why I want to worship with them, isn't so that the, the largely white church can go and bless and, and encourage them and just kind of co-opt them into what we do. I actually think they have a faith that we need, because they start at a level of dependence where we start with what's in our bank account or based on my education uh, or based on my network, and then we build from there and try and solve all of our problems. You know what Jonathan said that night? He says... We pray to the Lord, but, uh, but he, well, his line was, we pray for our plans, but God's plans are always better. I need to pray like that more because I want to pray in control. I want to pray and want results. And he hasn't been pestering me, 
but it's been on his heart to be able to do this because he's trying to incubate uh, this community uh, of immigrant worship and we're just blessed to be a part of it. And so we're continuing to pray about what that looks like. So hope is a verb. We, we don't do nothing. We do something as we wait for God to just continue to show up. And then the, the second thing I would say is hope is also a practice. Um, it requires effort. Um, it also invites a response. There are things like certain motors run better when they're used, but if it sits for too long, I, I just took in a, a weed whacker and the guy said, well, it's just been sitting too long. That's the problem. It's not that it, it didn't work, it's just that it didn't get enough use. So it is with our hope that we have this living hope with a living faith and we know there are some things that we can do. One of the best most resonance that I have is a familiar story of where Jesus comes um, and he's doing some work and it comes out of Mark chapter 9. Many of you are familiar with this story but there's this boy who's possessed by an evil spirit and Jesus and him start to go back and forth. It was a crowd and, and, and he says and this is in verse uh, 17 a man in the crowd answered teacher I brought my son who's possessed with a spirit that has robbed him of speech whenever it seizes him it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mash, mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And Jesus, in this frustrating way, you unbelieving generation, how long will I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. In other words, haven't I already shown you what you can do? Haven't I already been a demonstration? I'm not going to be around forever. Eventually, you're going to learn to do what I do. And I've already demonstrated this for you. But he says, give me the boy. I'm going to show you this. And then he begins to say these words that are terribly convicting. But he said, so they brought the boy, and when, uh, when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately began to throw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, and he rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to try and kill him, but if you can uh, do anything, please take pity on us and help. If I can, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter again. When we say that hope is a practice, what we might need to start with is a simple confession that says, I do have hope, help my unhope. I do have belief, help my unbelief. That is a real prayer and it's worthy to be praying each and every day. Do you struggle with anxiety? Pray that prayer. Do you struggle with control? Pray that prayer. Lord, help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. And it becomes this growing practice for us. See, I have to practice hope, especially when it's an inconvenience. I have to practice hope because then I forget that God's actually in control. And some of you I, I, I've had the chance to share some parts of this story with, but um, I want to practice hope because I want to practice, uh, because I want to see God work. And if I want to see God do miracles, then I have to be willing to wade into miracle territory. Otherwise, my prayer life becomes, oh God, just keep us safe. Oh God, just protect me. Oh God, just bless me and mine. And I don't want to live that kind of life. And so I end up having to 
operate with great levels of discomfort and inconvenience because I want to see God move in me, in you. Many of you might remember Sam. Sam was the very first home that I ever visited when we started going have to share one. In fact, this was her and her kids last Easter with us. If you had zero to five-year-olds, she came and watched your kids for you so we could have the littles with her and the rest of the kids in the service. Sam is wonderful. She's an incredible seamstress. She's also came to our house to help do a roll-your-own sushi party. She's become a dear friend. I visited her husband in the hospital. I've been in her house many times. I've built gingerbread houses. But a couple months ago, I visited her, and she was talking to me like this, and I finally pulled her hand down, and she's missing her front two teeth. I said, Sam, what happened? And I'm not sure of everything that happened other than her reply was, I have infection and they remove my teeth. Now, I'm a son of a dentist. I know some, that sounds like son of a dentist. It sounds like now I'm getting mad. Uh, uh, but um, you don't just dismiss someone in a first world country with gaping hole in their front mouth. Now, it's cute when you're seven, um, but when you're 33, that's hell on earth. And they said, well, when you get another check from the government, come back. And I'm like, heck no. So I began calling, and there's been a family. This is her. I didn't want, I wanted to dignify her, but I didn't want to ask her to smile big with a gummy smile. She was actually missing five teeth in the back, um, but these two had been removed allegedly because of uh, an infection. But Dr. Brian Hassler, who's friends and neighbors to the Pavloviches and the Pals, they've come to a couple of our parties like Cinco and um, our, uh, our Gatsby party last year. I reached out to him cold turkey uh, and just said, hey, this is what I got. I knew he, he knows Jesus, and so you play the ministerial card going, help, uh, because I'm a son of a dentist, but I don't have a killer set of tools. Uh, so... He says, absolutely, um, and he orders it, and, and he even came in Thanksgiving week to install it. The lab sent uh, a trial one without the permanent one. He came in on his day off just because he wanted to be there for it. Then we scheduled for two weeks later this Thursday. Got to have a little heaven on earth where someone got, she texts me because um, her three-year-old daughter is, mommy, mommy, you look so different. You look totally different. And in her broken English, you can like, it's like the most teary-eyed text I get. Go to the last one, and this is Dr. Brian. For all of your dental needs, I highly recommend <laughs> Legend Dental with two convenient locations in Georgetown and right here on Anderson Mill Road. Uh, man, hope. All I did was see someone with missing front teeth and I thought, if that were my daughter, if that were my wife, they would not leave their home. They wouldn't want to go anywhere for the weekend, let alone for six weeks of revisiting being seven years old. Sometimes hope is a verb, but hope is always a practice. What can we do? Who do we know? Start making the calls. And it never, never feels convenient when you're trying to make several like dental appointments at five o'clock in the evening and you're fighting traffic. It always feels like a chore, but it always feels good. Now hope. Hope is also simply a call to remember. Throughout 
history. In fact, the original Last Supper, the original Eucharist that they celebrated in the upper room was really part of the Passover. And Passover was a living, breathing kind of history lesson where they gathered together, not just to have an amazing meal, but to retrace the steps of God's faithfulness from the beginning. And God's faithfulness was always tied to God's salvation, to God's deliverance, bringing them out of Egypt, giving them a promised land, naming them as his own, and coming alongside this poor and oppressed people, said, I will be your God, but don't forget that you were once slaves in Egypt. This is what we're called to remember. Maybe you have that kind of story, but we forget in our short-sightedness to remember how God has sustained us, how God has healed Maybe we just assume because we live in such opulence in America that God's blessing and provision, this is just normal, right? I mean, clean drinking water, that's, that's expected, right? Actually, no, not really on a global scale. But we are in the, like, the mass abundance of God's blessing. And it's so easy to forget the faithfulness of God, but he invites us to remember. And so when he, and we're going to have communion tonight, invites us to this table, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And it's a lesson of God's faithfulness. It's a lesson of, of, of God's redemption uh, for all people. And then he says, also, remember the forgiveness of sins. God puts aside all of his grievances and he tells us that we're now members of his family. And he extends forgiveness for us as our own salvation. Let me, let me like make this abundantly clear. When God forgives us, it wasn't just to wipe the slate clean on our hearts and make us blameless towards him. God wanted to forgive us so that we can experience salvation and let go of the offense and the hurt and the grudges that we carry for all of our lives. And he's like, salvation has come. Don't hold on to this. I forgave you. I showed you how. Yes, receive that forgiveness, but don't hold on to it. So do this in remembrance of me. And so we have a living hope because we are able to recognize God's faithfulness. But we have this notion of forgiveness that makes it possible for us to have a living faith, a living, breathing, not dormant, dying faith because we hold grudges and carry offenses. And he says, do this with thanksgiving. We're acceptable in his sight and the power of the Lord's Supper is supposed to heal our past. It's supposed to reconcile our present, but it's supposed to give us a living hope for the future. So we're going to just have a time now to respond, uh, and I'm just going to encourage you as you're ready to go. But let me say this about our table. Our table is, is open, uh, and our table is open because I think it's frankly rude to eat in front of people. But you can make this a special time, or you can make this a sacred time, depending on how you view these elements. If you have never pledged your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, this is his demonstration for his love for you. It's quite special. But for those of us who have aligned our lives with Christ, who have said, I do, and exchanged a vow of wanting to de declare our 
our, our allegiance to, to Christ, this becomes sacred for us. When we marry ourselves to God's redemption, we marry ourselves to God's reconciling work, we marry ourselves to a living hope, first in us and then through us, because we are all part of God's salvation on earth. And so I encourage you, as you're ready tonight, if you want to take a moment to just examine your own hearts, pray through with remembrance, with thanksgiving. He said on the night he was betrayed, he held up these elements. And again, they're at this Passover feast. It's hard to forget all that God has done. But he says this, this bread is broken for you represents my body. What was about to happen in the next 24 hours of complete physical, emotional, spiritual brokenness. We remember that. And he says, this, this is my blood. This represents the new covenant beyond rule keeping, beyond legalism, beyond legislating some morality, we have this new covenant. And Jesus invites us into this covenant relationship with him that washes over us, but we also don't just become a vessel of it, we become a vehicle for it. Our Father in heaven, we give you praise for your faithfulness. It is with thanksgiving. I pray that we would worship you with a grateful hearts. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. I pray that you would free us. I pray that hope would become something that we practice, something that we live. I pray that you would nudge us towards obedience so that we could work out our salvation with joy and thanksgiving. We want to have grateful hearts. We thank you for this time of year. We thank you that you didn't just come, but that you're coming again. So we pray that we would find our community in you in this communion time. In Jesus' name, amen.